Welcome to the Write It Down Podcast at Home Edition. I'm your host, Brooke Murata, bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, inspire, and encourage. Today, we have a very inspiring guest. I was very excited to bring him onto the show. His name is Warren Moon. You may know him as a pro football Hall of Famer. He was inducted in August of 2006. He was one of the only African-American quarterbacks of his time, and he defied a lot of odds. He tells us that he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder that drove him to success, but he also knew deep down that he didn't want to settle for anything less than the dream that was put on his heart. I'm excited to share his story with you, and I know you're going to be encouraged and inspired by his story. You know what to do. Sit back, relax, and get your pens ready, because this is Write It Down. Welcome back to the Write It Down podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Murata, on the mic with our special guest, Warren Moon. Warren, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brooke. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to the to our conversation. I'm looking forward to it as well. We met a couple of weeks ago at the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction, and it was super cool to meet you. I was off the side of the stage and uh, Marcus introduced us. Marcus has been a dear friend of mine and dear friend of Write It Down podcast for many years, and he is the greatest. So anybody he introduces me to, you guys all have a common thread of humility and passion and a great story. So I'm pumped to share your story today. Um, you definitely defied a lot of odds in your life. And um, I absolutely love the fact that you wore number one for a reason. So why don't we rewind back into time of why you wore the number one and what you knew was so special inside of you? Well, number one to me uh, signifies being the best. And um, that's something I always wanted on my jersey, first of all, as a constant reminder to myself. That's that's what I wanted to train for. That's what I wanted to be. I always striving to be the best in, in whatever I was doing. And at that particular time, it was playing quarterback. And then it was also a constant reminder of the leader on my team. My team would look at that number as their leader and say, this is where we strive to be as well. So they understood that our goal was always to be number one, to win our division, to win a championship, to, to be whatever it is. We wanted to be the best. So that number one was a constant reminder to me of where I wanted to be as a quarterback, where our team wanted to be as a team. Yeah. And, you know, with your story of um, just the seasons of life that you were in and at the point of time you were in history of being an African-American quarterback and defying odds in that realm. But I would love to kind of dive a little deeper into the emotional response of that in the sense of I know in my life and I know those who are listening right now um, have had moments where people have genuinely thought that they were not worth it or that they weren't worth investing in or that they didn't have it. But then deep down, there was something inside of them that was like, no, I know there's this calling on my life. I know that I don't want to settle for second best. Like you didn't want to settle for a different position. You could have played it and you would have played really well because you're an athlete and but you wanted to be a quarterback. And there are so many people that go through this, whether it's in sports or just in their everyday jobs or wanting to be a mom or there's little things like that where deep down, you know, you have what it takes, but everybody else has a different narrative for you. So what were some of the things that you did mentally to um, just kind of combat that? Well, when I first started playing quarterback as a you know, 10, 11 year old in Pop Warner football, um, I knew if I wanted to, to play it at another level or higher level, it was going to be difficult because there wasn't a lot of quarterbacks that looked like me as far as my color was concerned. So I knew that that would, that would be a, a hurdle that I'd have to get over, that there would be some adversity there. And uh, 
I still continue forward because I felt like I was good enough to play quarterback. I had been successful at every level that I played the game at, at that position, whether it was Pop Warner, like I said, as I went into high school, the same thing. As I went into junior college, the same thing. As I went into college, the same thing. So I always excelled at every level. So that's one of the things that kept me positive that as far as my peers were concerned, I was as good or better than most of my peers. So no matter what other people told me, uh, and I knew some of those things weren't exactly true, they were telling me there were more excuses, but it was basically a lot of, based on my skin color, that as long as I continue to keep working hard and proving what I could do, somebody somewhere down the road was going to give me the opportunity to play the position, and then I had to be ready. Otherwise, if I got down on myself, if I started thinking negative thoughts, if I started thinking about quitting or, or, or going to another position, uh, then that's not exactly what I wanted. And I, I would have failed by then. So I probably would have gave up the sport before I would have changed to another position because uh, I didn't believe in playing another position. And if you don't have that belief that you can play a certain place, it's not going to happen for you no matter what your athleticism is all about. So quarterback is what I thought I was made for because of my upbringing, because of the, the maturity that was thrust on me at a very young age when I my dad died at seven years old. I mm -hmm. I, um, I I took on a, a very um, you know man type role around my house because I had six sisters and a, and a mom, so I oh, was wow. a male figure in my household. So right there, I gained uh, you know maturity uh, beyond my years of a seven year old, and then uh, I just had the ability to to get people to. To rally together. I was the guy that set up everything in our neighborhood as far as if we played against uh, other streets and, and uh, other teams. Uh, I set up all the leagues. I just did all these different things. I was a big organizer at a very young age because my mom was that way, uh, the way she ran our household. And I, I learned so much from her. So all those things combined with my athletic skills and, and being able to throw the football led me to think that I could be a really good quarterback because of my leadership skills and because of my athletic ability. So I wasn't going to let anything deter that because I knew I, I had been successful all the way along the, the way, and I wasn't going to get all the way to the end um, once I got out of college and say, okay, I'm going to give in now and, and go and play something else. Yeah. I mean, leadership was definitely thrusted upon you in life. But something that you said that really caught my attention um, through that answer was you said you wanted to be ready when like the opportunity presented itself. And I love that because that's honestly like that faith, that belief that like what you have inside of you, like you might as well prepare for it. Right. And so right. I, I really love that because instead of, you know, coming to what people were saying or settling like that's like probably one of my biggest pet peeves and fears that this a healthy fear I have in life is settling like for anything anything less than what I feel like is my purpose or whatever and I love that because that's so inspiring what you said about being prepared like at, at some point someone's gonna have to give you an opportunity right. like whether it's the opportunity you thought it was gonna be or or a different door that was gonna open for that you know, dream come true. And I love that you were like, no, I needed to like get ready. And so fast forward into your career, um, you had a different door open for you for football with the CFL before you went into the NFL. So at any point, did you feel like you were going into a league 
um, that was second best? Like, did you have hierarchy in your head? Was the NFL the, the, the goal or were you just content to keep playing football? Well, you know, it had happened prior to that coming out of high school, you know, I'm a high school, all city quarterback, you know, player of the year in my conference, all these different things that I, I, um, had the accolades in order to, uh, deserve the opportunity to play major college football. And none of the major colleges that I wanted to play for that they really threw the football um, wanted to recruit me. So uh, I had to go to junior college for a year. And that's something that I didn't want to do. So when you go from high school to junior college, you feel like you're, you're going to a lesser, a lesser league right there as opposed to going to a, you know, an NCAA school. Uh, so I had been through that before coming out of high school to go to have to go to junior college in order to get that major college scholarship. So I had been through that. So when I had the opportunity to play in Canada and play quarterback, um, same thing. I knew that I could play quarterback. I was going to go play whoever was going to give me that opportunity. Junior college was going to give me that opportunity to play it. And I went there and I excelled and I, and I made sure I prepared myself for when that opportunity did come to play major college football. And it came along after that first year of junior college. So uh, that's, that was my mentality always. And I think, again, I learned a lot of that from my mom. When my dad died, my mom was basically a mom at that time, but she went back to school and became a, a RN nurse and, wow. um, and prepared herself to get ready to be successful so she could take care of her family. So I learned a lot from watching her in that, in that realm. She didn't, she didn't give up on life. She didn't say, woe is me. I've got, you know, five, six kids here. And, and uh, what am I going to do with, you know, with no husband around? She didn't do that. She, uh, she went and prepared herself and uh, still was able to take care of her family and, and move on. So that so much of what I learned was from her, and and that's why I could just kept plugging along because a lot of my motivation was to see the sacrifices that she made for me. I, I one day wanted to be able to return that, and, and the only way to be able to return that was to be successful in my, in my life, whether it was be a professional football player or get my education in college and go on and uh, and, and and be successful in business or whatever it is I wanted to do. At that particular time, I wanted to go to law school. If football didn't work out for me, but. Um, that was my mindset and I wasn't going to let anything change it. Yeah. And I was very confident. I was very cocky. I was very, I don't know, uh, confident and cocky are two, two really good words to ambitious and, and very stubborn. <laughs> stubborn yeah. is a good word that, that uh, really signified me during those days. I wasn't going to let anybody tell me that I couldn't do something. Yeah. Uh, especially if I'm watching myself do those things against the best of the best in that particular era of my life. So um, that just kept me moving forward. Yeah. Well, what were relationships like in those days? Like, did you have a core group of friends that believed in you? Was it, um, were people only friends with you when you had success? What was that life like for you? Yeah, I, I definitely had my family support. You know, my mom was a big supporter of mine. You having your mother sitting up in the stands watching you play, there's nothing, nothing better than that. Um, and you want to impress her. You want to play your best all the time. You don't want to let her down. Um, but I also had, you know, different coaches that were in my corner that believed to be my high school coach who, who uh, as a junior saw me working out in the offseason and said, you're going to be my varsity starting quarterback next year. Given the fact that I, as a sophomore, the freshman coach didn't want me to play. 
Uh, he didn't play me at all. That was the third string quarterback, believe it or not, on the uh, on the sophomore team. Yeah. And uh, I was discouraged from that. But when your varsity coach comes up and says, you're going to be my starter next year, that gives you a lot of encouragement. And that makes you just want to go out and, and you know run through a wall for him to show him that he's not wrong in, in the decision that he's making. So I had different people along the way that really believed in me. My, my college coach, uh, Don James, when he recruited me, to the University of Washington. He told me that he thought I could play major college football and he wanted me to be his quarterback. And those types of things really uh, give you inspiration and give you motivation, especially coming up during a time where a lot of people didn't want to play you as a quarterback, even though they thought you were good enough, but because of, you know, because of the color you were skin, weren't going to play you in that position. Yeah. So you've gone through this adversity and you say you're, you're cocky, you're confident, you're stubborn. And I love that because you need to have a, a little bit of that edge to you when people keep telling you the opposite of your dream or the opposite of what you feel like you were on this earth to do and the right. gifts that you've been given. And so I love that you didn't back down towards that. So you do say though that you're, you were stubborn as well. At any point, did resentment fuel you or was it more of just people giving you hope continually well you, you heard the term uh, a chip on your shoulder you know yeah i had a i probably had a boulder on my shoulder <laughs> most of the different stops that i went through and yeah it was more about proving other people wrong but not rubbing it in their face by proving them wrong right yeah just, just showing them on the field what you could do but you don't have to say anything about it you don't have to boast about it let you play uh, speak for yourself talker and that and that's what I did so I use that as motivation not only um at those different levels of going from college I mean high school to, to junior college junior college to the pros going to Canada even once I got into the NFL I, I continued that um even after I became a very successful quarterback in the NFL I used that every year as motivation for me that I wasn't going to let myself uh um love myself too much that, that I could still improve. I could get better in a lot of different places. So I, I, I continue to have that, that, uh, that chip. And, and anytime you heard something negative from anybody out there, you gave you even more inspiration and more motivation to go out there and be better. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, though, it's like, not like letting your like athleticism and your work on the field speak for itself. So it's, that might be fueling you, but it's definitely not something that you're holding over people, you know, or gloating about, like let somebody else say it, but your, your works and your actions are proving it. Let's flash forward to pro football hall of fame where we, we met. Did you ever think that you would have been inducted into the pro football hall of fame? You know, I think if you asked a hundred players, if they thought they were going to be a Hall of Famer when they were going into the league, probably 98 of them would have said no. You know, that's just not even something you think about when you go into the National Football League uh, being a Hall of Famer. Uh, you you want to, first of all, try and make a team. <laughs> and yeah. Then you wanna, yeah. And then you want to be a contributor. And then at some point you want to be an all-pro. And then uh, you maybe – aspire depending on the position you play to maybe be an MVP, but all these things happen over a period of time as you, um, as you progress and improve in the league. 
But even even then, Hall of Famers are looked at as like gods. You know, these are the best of the best that have ever played this game. And I remember when I came into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, there was only 200 and uh, I think 20 guys in the Pro Football Hall of Fame at that time. You're talking about out of 25,000 football players. That's that crazy. Played pro football. So yeah. To, so for for you to be there um, and even be considered for it over those you know, those first five years after you retire uh, is an honor in itself. So, uh, no, did I think I was going to ever be a pro football Hall of Famer, especially after spending my first six years of my career in the Canadian Football League and then coming back to the NFL? No, I, I never even thought of that. My biggest motivation coming back into the NFL was because so many people told me that I could not do it where so many people told my agent that I could not play quarterback. I wanted to prove to myself that I could play with the best players in the world. And that, that was my biggest motivation. I could have stayed in Canada my whole career and had a great career up there, made a ton of money. Uh, I would have been as big as you can get in the, in the, the country of Canada doing endorsements or whatever it might've been. Cause I really enjoyed myself up there. You know, we won right. championships my first uh, five years up there. Uh, I was on top of the world, but uh, in the back of my mind, there was this burning. Uh, it, it was almost like a, a, a burning um, curiosity to mm-hmm. play with these guys. Yeah, I watch the games on TV, you know, and I'm like, I could be doing what this guy is doing right here. I could be playing like this quarterback right here. But until you actually do it, until you actually play against the best. You don't know where you stand up against that. So that's the reason why I really came back to the NFL to play, um, just to see if I was good enough to play with the best. Yeah, I love that mentality because, again, this can transcend into anything and whoever's listening. And there's that, like you were saying, that like burning curiosity. It's like there's this part of you that's like, okay, this is great, but I want excellent. And that's not to like create comparisons like those that are succeeding, you know, in other areas or in places that you don't want to be. It's not uh, putting notches, but in your heart and in your mind, you're like, wait, there's more. And I know I can do this. And so that's why it was probably another level of the feeling of surreal is when you're getting inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It was like, man, if you would have stayed, like you said, you would have had a great time you know in Canada and with endorsements and you would have made money and you would have you know still had like a level of uh, satisfaction but it wouldn't be like full throttle and you know I feel the same way in my life with certain things like you know I live in a small town where you know a lot of people get married to their high school or college sweetheart and they have kids and they buy a house and all those things are great like they're awesome but definitely there's more curiosity in me than that right? Like there's that and that's great. But in my mind and the way that God's wired me, there's like, okay, but there's something else. And it's that curiosity keeps you hanging around a little bit longer of there's got to be something else. There's got to be another open door. There's got to be another opportunity. And that is exactly what has defined your career in football. And like I said, we met at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, so how has it changed? How has the experience, that was my first time going to Canton. So how has that changed since you were inducted? Well, first of all, it's, it's grown. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw pictures of the original Hall of Fame uh, building, the museum itself. 
they renovated it uh, two or three times since I've been in. They continue to keep expanding on it, trying to make it the best sports museum in, in the world. Um, and I think it's one of the best, and they're getting ready to add more square footage to it now. So that part of it has really uh, changed. I think the exposure, the the uh, yeah, mainly the exposure in, in the uh, identity of the Hall of Fame is much bigger than it was when I when I first came in. They've done a great job of of expanding uh, their horizons as far as how how it's perceived, um, you know, social media wise. Uh, you know, television-wise, all of that. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, the construction of the Hall of Fame village that's going on there. You know, there's yeah. restaurants now, there's a hotel going up, there's a water park going in, there's there's all kinds of shops and different things. So it's going to be like a, a destination point um, for people to come not only and, watch and see the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but also have this, this great uh, overall sports experience there with all the different attractions that they have going on. There's probably like some 14, 15 football fields out there where they put on clinics and, and all types of camps and different things. So the stadium is state of the art. It's not the biggest stadium in the world and they don't need that there, but it's a beautiful stadium mm -hmm. the way it was put together. So they have a lot of uh, different games there throughout the year as well. So it's it's grown immensely. Um, I'm on the uh, board of trustees of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I've kind of seen all of this expansion and all this growth happen. Yeah, uh, and it's it's been a great experience for me not only to be a part of of the Hall of Fame itself with all the great players, but to, to also be behind the scenes and and see the business side of it and see how we continue to grow. Yeah, and you guys are through and through, not just with the inductees, but with the Hall of Fame as a whole and with the experience. You guys are really preserving excellence, and things look really great, and the feel is great, and. What's so exciting about it, and obviously this makes sense as far as timing's concerned of when the induction is, but you just feel like, wow, it's football season. Like you, when I got there, I was like, you could feel it. Like everybody's excited. You know, we're celebrating huge accomplishments of these gentlemen being inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but you're also like around people that are like, they bleed out their team's colors. Like they just do. And it's a really cool feeling to be there and be like, wow, like preseason and training camps are are here. Like we're here now. And then before you know it, you know, regular season's going to be here, which is just awesome. And it, it cultivates an environment for that. And I love that it's got a family atmosphere where, you know, you can bring anyone there to experience it. And it's going to be for sure a core memory for some young people growing up. And I do think it's going to preserve um, just people wanting to be a part of the NFL. Like the NFL is obviously there's only a select few people in the world that play in the NFL. And there's select few people that make it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We're going to take a quick break to discuss Write It Down's brand new website. You can head over to widpod.com, W-I-D-P-O-D.com, and see all the goods. You'll notice a banner at the top of the page that says learn more. If you click that link, it'll show you how you can support Write It Down. P.S. My favorite part about the website is the Wid Wall, which is a collection of all the Write It Downs from the show. This podcast is made possible by the 1513 Network. So show the network some love and support by listening to their other shows. If not, just stick with Write It Down, because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Now, back to the show. But over the course of the years, like, fandom will always be there. 
Like, you know, I met I met people there that have been watching sports far before I was ever even born and just their their heartbeat. But then you can look to the right and see a little kid, you know, with their hat on. That's just so excited to to be around greatness. And it gives them something to aim for, whether it's in football or in something else. And so I really loved that aspect of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, Who in the league now playing in the NFL remind you of yourself like oh I see myself in that player is there anyone that you can point to wow um I've been asked that question before it's kind of hard for for me to compare myself to others uh, yeah uh, because again I don't know the mental makeup of a lot of these guys and you can look at them physically and see some of the similarities but uh, the mental makeup personality all those different things you don't really know as much unless you really know those individuals right uh, one-on-one but um I think Dak Prescott is somebody that kind of reminds me of myself because of the way he was not looked at highly upon when he came out of college Uh, he was a fourth round draft pick to the Dallas Cowboys Uh, nobody expected him to be the starter and there he was the starter his I think first year because Tony Romo gets hurt the next thing you know he's taken off and, and he's become a really good quarterback in this league um He's somebody that kind of reminds me of myself and not many of the others because a lot of those guys were, were high round draft picks. Um, yeah. Or we didn't have the same, you know, body body makeup chemistry and things like that. You know, I was a, a, a pretty good runner, but I wasn't a great runner. And that's kind of what Dak is. I might be a pretty a, a better passer than he is, but he's become a really good passer, a, a better passer. So there's similarities there, and I think the leadership skills. And he was really close with his mom. Um, his mom passed away, um, mm. I think, shortly into his career. And I think he grew up without a dad, so he came from a single family, I mean, a single mom home. So there's a lot of similarities in that, and, and I think those are the things that I kind of grab onto. Yeah, absolutely, and he he is exquisite i mean he definitely has that grit to him um and i i mean watching him play is great i also got to um see him at the um like a super bowl down in miami when i went down there at a rich eisen show and i mean he's got stature too for sure he definitely has that and so i um i'm definitely with you on that how much do you think like a franchise has to play in a, in cultivating a player's greatness. Like, do you think it is more of the athletic ability of a player or the franchise pours into you enough to make you excellent? Like, would you have done better in a different franchise? Would Dak do better in a different franchise? How much does it play with your role? Well, I think it, it plays a lot because the quarterback is only as good as the people he's surrounded by because he can't do it by himself. He relies on, you know, a great offensive line to block for him. He relies on good receivers in order to make plays for him and make his job a little bit easier. And we've seen a lot of really good quarterbacks that come out of college or whatever and went to the wrong organization that didn't put the resources around him to make him successful. And that kid becomes, you know, a bust, basically. A lot of times they lose their confidence. They get beat up very early in their career. They're never able to bounce back from that. So, yes. The organization has a lot to do with it. And with Dallas, with um, Dak and Dallas, you know, Dallas has done a great job of putting really good players around Dak and, and a really good defense. So he's had all the things that it takes to be successful. Um, but yeah, an organization has to 
be willing to put the resources around a quarterback in order to make that quarterback's job a lot easier. Yeah. And I, again, I don't know. I've never been, believe it or not, I've never been on a pro sports team. I know I look like I could be in a pro sports team, but I do know what it feels like to walk into a different place and the energy is different or the culture is different. And so how would you describe even the culture of certain teams? Like I have a friend that's in the NBA and it's like, when you're traded, you literally can walk into a locker room and it feel different from where you were three weeks ago. So how would you say that's the same way in the NFL? Well, yeah, culture has a lot to do with uh, the success of, of a football team. It's not all about talent, but you definitely have to have talented players, but you also have to have a culture that it starts from the top and, and works its way down. So ownership is a big, big part of that. How committed are they to the team or is this just something that's a, a play thing to them? Something that yeah. they can they can just uh, entertain their friends with on the weekend and say, I own a professional football. Throw team. their money at, right. You know, or, do they, or do they really want to win? Do they, do they take a, do they take an active role in it? And then it, you know, it trickles down to the president and the general manager, the guy who's picking the players, and then the coaching staff. All those people have to be working in, in unison together, being on the same page, having the same goals. That's where it all starts right there. And then that culture is, you know, some somehow comes down into the football team the way the, uh, the head coach um, applies all that to the team. And then your leaders on your football team or whatever team it is, whatever sport, your leaders on that team are, are the ones that take that that philosophy and that culture and kind of spread it through that locker room to make sure it, uh, you know, it, 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 it transpires to everybody. So it, it's a, when you hear that term, it, it takes a, a village to, uh, to, it takes a village to, to make anything, anything that you're talking about. It takes a village to make a successful organization. And, and all these different people play a part in that in order to make it successful. Is there anyone in the league that got under your skin, whether a teammate or an opponent, that got under your skin, but then you became fond of them after you were done playing? Wow. Um nobody that did it on a consistent basis. I remember my only, you know kind of fight I had during my career was with a, a guy by the name of Derek Thomas, who's not a, alive now. He passed away mm. later, um, after a car accident and paralysis and all that. Goodness. But, uh, he was a really, really good player that came into the league. And and uh, we got into a little scuffle in the game because I thought he hit me late after a play was over. And, and uh, next thing you know, uh, maybe two off seasons later, he's coming to me in Houston and we shook hands and made up after that play was over and all of that because he's not yeah. a bad guy. But uh, two years later, he's coming to me in Houston to try and shadow me to, to see how I ran my foundation because I started a foundation in Houston called the Crescent Living Foundation. And he wanted to know, you know, how I put it together. And so he shadowed me for a couple of days just to see, you know, how my operation ran. So we became very, very good friends. And he started his foundation called the Third and Long Foundation which is still going today, even, even though wow. he's with us anymore. But that just shows that you know you can get into an altercation with a guy and and have a fist fight, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you're two really close friends down the road. So that would be one guy that I would, I uh, I I had some type of altercation with. Yeah, very positive experience. 
Yeah, sometimes it's like just getting cooled off to see who a person really is. A very heated, uh, very, very physical game and, and uh, tempers do flare and those things do happen from time to time. And it doesn't happen much with me because I'm a very, very mild mannered, uh, low tempered guy. But I do have a fire that I play with that a lot of people don't understand. Oh, of course. And in the league today, you know, even just in my time of watching football, there's a lot of hot tempers, you know, which makes for a great you know, game. It makes for, you know, entertaining, but I always wonder after some of those fights, I'm like, are these people friends in real life later? Or like, do they go grab a drink? And they're like, Hey, sorry about that. You know, just got, you know, they do. A lot yeah. of times they do. Uh, and a lot of times their friends are there that, that these things happen with it, just like it happens with teammates, you know, teammates get into fights all the time. I, I don't know if you've been watching around the NFL right now, after you get a couple of weeks into camp of, of beating up on your same guys every day, Guys get a, a little bit uh, testy as they get into training camp. It's hot. Uh, they don't want somebody giving them an extra push after a play is over or whatever. They get annoyed by it. Next thing you know, there's a brawl going on. So yeah. it happens, but we do have arguments in families, and families do argue, and they but they do make up as well because they, they love each other deep down inside. Yeah, and there's a bigger goal at the end of it. We were just at the Miami Dolphins training camp, and I believe it was like 104, 105 degrees outside. Walk outside, and even the wind was hot. And I just remember getting out, and I'm already pissed. I'm like, I don't like being this hot. I'm not in pads and in the sun. I'm in the shade, and I'm like, I'm about to have a heat stroke. I'm like, I'm too young to die. I'm very dramatic. And we were sitting there. We were watching the them scrimmage. Um and it was yeah they were scrimmaging the falcons and there was a fight that broke out i mean and i missed it because knowing me i was probably trying to like gr- get air and being dramatic somewhere but i remember looking over and they're all you know fighting each other and things like that i'm like that just seems like so much effort to be doing this during practice when it's 105 degrees outside and they ended up um calling the practice early they all went inside into the the complex because i think they were all like they they ended training camp well for the people on the outside, like 30 minutes early. And I was like, they're probably in there just like someone's going to get actually hurt in this heat. So a lot of, again, a lot of egos, you know, there's a lot of, you know, outside, you know, factors that can change a mood. So then when you're playing in a real game and there is a 300 pound man come in and take you out and you're already a little tweaked in the ankle or, you know, you're upset with your coach or whatever, there's so many things that can happen. But like I said, I was always curious to see if people really are just friends afterwards. And so it seems like they are. This question was asked at the round table at the um, enshrinement, this past pro football hall of fame, who in the NFL or who had played in the NFL should be um, in the hall of fame. That's not yet. Who do you think should be inducted? There's a ton of guys and uh, I don't want to get into singling out one or two guys, but every year when you get uh, through the hall of fame voting and you get down to the uh, final, maybe 15 guys, they, they, they narrow it down from, from so many to so many to down to the final 15. And once that final 15 happens, uh, that's when they pick five the five the final five guys from there. So if you ever get down to that final 15, you're usually going to make the Hall of Fame at some point. Some it's point, right. Depends on when. Matter so of time. You, so anybody who wants to look on a list and see those final 15 guys of this year can say, okay, these guys will probably get in at some point because that's kind of usually how it works. And I try and tell guys that 
that go through this process and and uh, maybe don't get selected that particular year, they're down and out about it. I just tell them, I try and make them feel confident that you're on the final list. And at some point you're going to get in. I don't know when that's going to be, but just kind of stay patient because you're one of the best to ever play the game. That's why you've made it this far. Right. And you guys have all learned the art of being patient and knowing that just because a door doesn't open for you immediately doesn't mean it won't later. And so and I, and I'm that, a very, uh, I'm a very good uh, you know, prospect of that. That's happened to me so many different times, but when I went into pro football of fame, I went in on my first ballot. So I was, uh, wow. I didn't have to wait. And I thought for sure I was going to have to wait. You were prepared. I, I've had to wait on everything else that I've, that I've gotten in my life, but that's what made it such a big shock for me and such an emotional experience. for me. Yeah, I can imagine. And again, yeah, you were prepared to wait and then it's like, Oh, I don't have to wait. That's kind of nice. That's kind of nice. That's I don't nice have to exercise. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're like, I can get used to this, this whole yeah. open door thing pretty quickly. Well, Warren, we are getting closer to the end of our show. I like to ask a few rapid fire questions a little less. I mean, I say they're a little less mentally challenging, but sometimes I ask them and I'm like, I, maybe nobody's ever thought this. Um, and then we'll get to our write it down. So our first one is on average, it takes four to five hours to run a marathon. Okay. That's a, that's a long time. Would you rather four to five hours? Yes. I ran, I ran the Chicago marathon last year in four hours and seven minutes, but there are people that are like straight up doing it in two, but like for the average person, probably good four or five hours. So would you rather run for four hours straight or do burpees for four hours straight? Oh, much rather run. I wouldn't run burpees for 20 minutes. (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't either, but Burpees some people. Some of the hardest things you ever want to do. We, oh yeah. Whenever we had to do those in football, I thought it was punishment. Yeah, the fatigue. Did you have to do them wearing pads? Yes. Oh, I can only imagine. Okay, uh, what is your favorite TV series that you've ever binged? Favorite TV? God, these are so. There are some good ones. You can give. You can shout out a couple. Most people are looking for recommendations, anyways. <laughs> Uh, I used to love watching Good Times. Uh, it was a uh, an African American uh, sitcom way back in the day. The Jeffersons, another one. Uh, Sanford and Son, another one. Uh, Porsche Friends, another one. Uh, everybody really was into the to Seinfeld. I never was really into Seinfeld as much, but I did like Friends and I did like Cheers. Okay, I love Friends. I'm I'm watching it con- like consecutively now. I mean, I've seen it over the years or whatever, but I've been like watching it in order. Something else I'm watching in order, which leads me to my next question, is I'm doing a Marvel thon and I'm watching it in timeline order. Are you a Marvel or a DC fan? You know, I'm neither. Okay. <laughs> Never gotten into the, uh, the the comic book strips or the or the uh, the big time movie. My son was, and I. I've gone to a lot of those movies with my son because he was 16 years old. So whenever we went to the movies, it was either to see one of those superhero type movies. I like Spider-Man and I, and I like Batman, but I, I wasn't a huge, uh, I wasn't a huge comic book guy. Okay. So you like one from each. You like Batman and Spider-Man. So you got a little Marvel and DC in there. What yeah. was the name of your first pet? The name of my first pet was a dog, a little poodle named Mitzi. 
Mitzi. You would think with these questions I'm asking you, if I'm doing like um, figuring out your password for something, these are normally questions that you're like, what's your mother's maiden name? What's the name of your first pet? Yeah. And that's what you have to try and remember somehow. And then you're like, wait a second. For some reason you come back and put that same information in there when they ask for it. And they say, that's not correct. I'm like, that was the only dog I that had. Was the only, yeah. Literally. I, there's no other name my mom went by and you know before she married oh, no, my that was my first pet i'm sorry there's no no other pet <laughs> i love it well warren we are at that point in the show where i ask each guest give the audience something to write down what is your write it down my write it down is uh the title of of a book that i wrote about uh 15 years ago and it was basically based on my career and my and my journey and and uh i always went by that as i um went through my career it was called never give up on your dream and that's what i never did in my in my uh in my life because i had a dream to play in the national football league as a young kid and i never gave up on that dream and that's what i titled my book as and that's something that i live by and i try and tell young people whatever your dream is whatever your goal is never give up on that dream Absolutely. And that dream is there for a reason. So just like with your story, we can be encouraged that just because the door that you thought was going to open right away didn't doesn't mean it won't down the line. And there are so many people that want instant gratification and your life was delayed gratification. But nonetheless, it was gratifying. So Warren, thank you so much for joining us today on the Write It Down podcast. I'm glad to call you friend and thankful that I got to host you today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Brooke. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. And good luck to you with your show as you go down the road. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for listening to the Write It Down podcast. This podcast is a part of the 1513 Network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool. Stands for Write It Down Podcast, but it's abbreviated to WIDPOD. Anyways, thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.